If you've been with us while we've been looking through Hebrews, you'll have seen, I'm all over the place now, notes are on the floor, Bible's here, here we go. You've seen that the writer's been building up an argument, he's been, he's been looking, just basically making this point, look, something far better has come, look, there was so much amazing stuff before, look, God has been speaking through history, through the prophets, but now, look. He's spoken through his son. Look, there's been angels about. There's been angels, but now look, Jesus is far better. Moses, yeah, Moses was amazing. Moses is great. Moses was fantastic, but Jesus has come. The son has come. Whereas Moses was a servant in God's house, Jesus, the son over God's house, has come. He's been building this picture and he's been bringing exhortation to the people. Fix your eyes on him. Hold fast to him. And he's carrying on here as we get to Hebrews, well mainly Hebrews chapter 5. The, the end part of chapter 4, 4.14 through to 5 verse 10. He begins to look in more detail about Jesus, our great high priest. Jesus, this is, what, this is who Jesus is. This is who he is. And again, in this passage, he brings that comparison, that wonderful sense of, look, you've had priests amongst you. You've had high priests through the years, but look now, Jesus, the great high priest forever has come, who is so much better. In a sense, it's like there's a particular brand of fizzy drinks who like to claim that they are the real thing. Like you've had all the other brands, you can have all the other brands, and they're good. But, but in the end, in essence, as far as they're concerned, they're just cheap imitations of us. They're just cheap imitations of the real thing. Now that's a trivial example, but in reality, as the writers of the Hebrews will go on, look, all these things... The earthly tabernacle and the priesthood are pointing towards the real, the real thing. Jesus, who has offered sacrifice once for all time in the very presence of God. And he stands there. So let's read the passage together. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God... Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honour upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. 
today I have become your father. And he said in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Effectively in this passage, the writer makes some big claims. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, this is what we have. This is what he's saying about Jesus. And he goes on in chapter 5 to, to kind of expand that, to explain that. Look, this is what the high priests were all about. And now look, look at Jesus again. Look at him again. So that's what we're going to do. We're actually, we're going to start in the middle. We're going to look at what he says about the high priests. What he says about... Uh, every high priest, as he says. Then we're going to look and see what that means he's saying about Jesus. What is it that he's saying about Jesus and what does that mean for us? So in effect, he says three things about the high priest. He says one thing about who the high priest is and then two things that kind of characterize him. So firstly, the high priest is the representative of the people before God. That's what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And all throughout history, the Hebrews would have been aware, since Aaron was appointed as high priest, the high priests have represented the people before God, bringing sacrifice, offering worship, sacrifices at uh, the tabernacle and then at the temple. We see that in Exodus 29... We see, that's the passage where we see Aaron being set apart as priest before God. And in Exodus 29, we see that this is what they're doing in 29 verse 38. God's, and uh, through Moses is saying to Aaron, this is what you're to offer on the altar regularly morning, uh, regularly morning and the other at twilight. Sorry. This is what you were to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. With the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter of hin of oil from pressed olives and a quarter of hin of wine as a drink offering. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning. A pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. It's just a, it's just a glimpse. It's one, it's one passage. But this is what the, high, the priest was to come and give. He was to worship God with these offerings day by day by day. But we see also that it was the high priest who was to do this. The priest were to do things and the high priest specifically was to do things. He was set apart to this task. It was only to be then to be them. Exodus 30 verse 8 and 9 shows that. We see that Aaron was also to offer incense. He must burn incense again when, the lights, when he lights the lamps at twilight, so incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any 
burnt offering or grain offering and do not pour a drink offering on it. It's just supposed, it's, it's got to be for the purpose. It's got to be it's what God has prescribed and it's got to be who God has prescribed. Specifically, once a year, the high priest was to come. Specifically, only the high priest was to come into the very presence, into the most holy place in the tabernacle and then in the temple. Again, that's indicated in Exodus 30. Once a year, this is 30 verse 10. Once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns, on the horns of the altar. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It's most holy to the Lord. This is what the high priest was to do. But it was the high priest, it was only the high priest who could come. He was to represent the people and bring sacrifices of atonement for them. To bring this atonement once a year. To keep coming back and saying, look, God, we've messed up. We've sinned. We've fallen short. But here, we're offering the sacrifice. The high priest comes. It's only him who could come. Okay, so that's what the high priest was supposed to be. But what, what does the writer of the Hebrews specifically pick out? What was his, what was his qualities? What was, it, what was it about him that was, we can specifically see? Well, one thing, he was able to sympathize. He was able, as the, the writer says, to deal gently with the people. And why was that? Because... He was chosen from among them. Let's see Hebrews 5, verse 2 and 3. Hebrews 5, 2. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. And before that, it said every high priest is selected from among men. He's able to sympathize because he's one of us. He's able to sympathize because he's one of the people. And because he's one of the people, he's subject to the same weaknesses. He's, he's, facing, the same, he's facing the same temptations. And he goes further to say that actually, well, we can see that clearly. We know. Another trivial example. Yesterday, me and Paul Hayne were moving logs. We'd had a tree cut down in our back garden. Paul wanted them for his fire. There we are. So we're moving the logs. They're heavy bits of wood. And if Paul turned and said to me, I think he did at some point, these are pretty heavy. This is, this is hard work. This is simple. I can sympathize with him because I've just handed him the log. I've been carrying the same weight. I understand what it is that he's what he's going through in, taking, in carrying that log. We can understand it's a simple concept that yes, because the high priest was a man himself and was subject to the same weakness and, and was experienced the same temptation of sin, yes, he can sympathize. He can deal gently with the people because he knows what it's like. And he goes further to say, actually, the high priest, he needed to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the people. And that's... We can see that in different verses in Leviticus. In Leviticus 9 verse 7 and 16 verse 6. I'm not going to go there. There, It talks about the high priest. Specifically in 16 verse 6. That's on the day of atonement. The high priest had to come and offer a sacrifice for his own sins first. Before dealing with atonement for the people. He can sympathize. He understands. 
He understands. So he can deal gently with the people. He can, he can show mercy because he understands. He knows how hard it is in living life. And thirdly, a second thing we see about the high priest. Thirdly, a second thing we see... The high priest was the representative of the people, but there was the two things. He can sympathize, but he's also appointed by God. He can sympathize. He's appointed from amongst the people, but he's also appointed by God. So it says in verse 4, no one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. Back in Exodus 28, the chapter before we were looking at before. Exodus 28 verse 1 we see, Have Aaron your brother brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. God sets them apart. God says, you're the ones who are going to serve me as priests. You're the ones who are going to come before me and represent the people. And the point of that is we can't, they can't, they, no one else could set themselves up as the priest. No one else could say, no, no, actually, hang on. I'm coming, I'm going to come before God. I'm going to come and bring sacrifice. I'm going to do it. We see that in Numbers chapter 16, where Korah and others, they, they rebelled against Moses and Aaron and against God. And in Numbers 16, verse 3, they wanted to offer incense. They wanted to offer sacrifice themselves. And they say to Moses and Aaron, look, in chapter 16, verse 3, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? And he goes on. He want, they want to offer sacrifice themselves. And they're punished. And they're punished because God has said, no, it's the one that I choose. The one that I choose who will come before me. In 2 Chronicles 26, even the king, King Uzziah, he'd been a king who got that great phrase about he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But later in life, he became proud. And you could think, well, no, I've done, I've done a good job. I've, I've, I've represented God well as king, and I've led the people well. So surely I can come before God and offer incense. Surely I can come and bring... No, God said no. No, this is, I've set the priest apart to do that. And again, he's punished in that situation. So it's just a bit of background. The Hebrews would have understood this well about the high priest throughout the, the time of the Old Testament, throughout the time up to that point. They would have understood this is the high priest. The high priest is the one who represents us before God. The high priest is the one who can go once a year into the most holy place and offer atonement for us. And yes, we understand the high priest, he's one of us, so he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can understand what we're going through. Okay, so what about Jesus? So what about Jesus? We're going to reverse the order. The writer continues talking about how Jesus was appointed by God. And we're going to see as we look through this this the rest of this passage, how actually he's saying Jesus, in one sense, in the same way, he is high priest. He is, he's been appointed. He is 
One of the people who has been appointed to represent the people before God. But we're going to see, actually, this is not just another one of Aaron's sons. This is not just another one in the line of Aaron who will, will represent the people. No, this is so much better. Okay, so Jesus was appointed by God. It's important, it was probably important for the Hebrews particularly this is, to, to understand. Look, Jesus isn't just some upstart guy who's come along with his own idea, who's come in and said, look, look, follow me because, because I've got something of myself. I'm, I'm going to do it. No, Jesus is the son of God and Jesus was appointed by God as high priest. Uh, he has been made to be high priest of the new covenant. He's not just, he's not some guy who's just come with his own ideas. And so the writer to the Hebrew specifically quotes Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. Look, this is what God says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I've become your father. And then further on, specifically to this point, you are a priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek. It's a bit of a teaser on Melchizedek this week. The writer's going to go on to talk about Melchizedek more. But for now, there's just the point. The priests are anointed by God just as Aaron was. And we get this sense, look, Jesus was anointed by God as well. But what, as Aaron was, no, in the order of Melchizedek. It's different. There's a difference. That's all, that's all that we're kind of getting of this sense of Melchizedek. What's that all about? There's something different. Look, Jesus, he was appointed by God as well. It's not just the same. It's not just another Aaron. It's not just another Aaron come. But he's saying to the Hebrews, look, this isn't a departure from God's way. He's not saying, look, well, yeah, I gave you priests. Now I've given you something completely different. No, Jesus is the high priest. He's the one appointed by God who represents us before God, who stands before the Father. But unlike the priests who came and went, they were anointed by God for a time. Then there was a new high priest. Then there was a new high priest. Then there was a new high priest. No, Jesus, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus has been anointed forever he will stand, forever he will reign, forever he will stand as priest before God on our behalf. So Jesus... The high priests were appointed by God, so is Jesus. Jesus was appointed by God, and even better, Jesus is God. Jesus is God himself. But more so, Jesus can sympathize. Jesus can sympathize with us. What does it say in chapter 4, verse 15? But we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Now we've just read that the high priests, the high priests were able to sympathize because yes, they were they were they were men themselves, but also that they 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 were subject to the same weaknesses. They they fell, they they were tempted and they sinned, and they had to offer sacrifice for their own sins. Look what we're seeing here. Jesus was tempted in every way. We was without sin, and we know that is true. Hallelujah. But the temptation for us would be to think, well, okay, so he doesn't know what it's like. 
So he doesn't know what it's like, really, because he didn't... Yeah, he was tempted, but he managed. He conquered it all. He came through it all. He, didn't, he, he, didn't have, he doesn't have to go and offer sacrifices for his own sins. No. But what does it say? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who is able to sympathize. Why? Because he was tempted. Because he faced all temptation. Because he was tempted in every way. Yes, he conquered it all. Yes, he came through. Yes, he never fell. But in that brilliant double negative, we see, no, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In some ways, it sounds almost more strong than we have a priest who is able to sympathize. We have one. The temptation would be to think, Jesus, well, he's God. He can't, he can't understand. No, he can. We do not have one who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And he builds on this in chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Let's read. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. It's a powerful picture of Jesus' life on earth. A powerful picture of Jesus going through life. Crying out to his father. The painful, heartfelt cries. Going through suffering. Through times of trial. That verse says, even though he was God's son. Even though, although he was a son. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. It's not, again, we've looked at this before in chapter 2. It's not a sense of Jesus was disobedient, so he needed to learn obedience. No, Jesus has always been perfect. Jesus has always been the perfect son of God. But through suffering and through life and through the experience of being a man on earth, he has, he's grown and learned to be our perfect saviour. To be the one who could perfectly stand in the gap between... Before the Father in in our place. As our representative. Jesus lived life. He grew up. He learned. Luke 2. Verse 40 and 52. Give a kind of glimpse into Jesus' childhood. Luke chapter 2. Verse 40. You see, and the child grew and became strong. He physically grew up. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And in verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. This is a life lived. The Son of God becoming a man and living a life on earth, growing up. Facing the trials and Suffering and temptations that we face through life. And his whole point all the way through this is to say, look, Jesus understands. Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it is to live a life. 
I don't think I really got this picture when Nigel Lloyd brought it. But the sense that Jesus is not like Superman. And I kind of looked at it and thought, actually, it kind of makes sense. He is the one who, who is, is like us, but he's also, he's from heaven. He's come down from heaven. He's the one who's come amongst us. And we think he's one of us, but yet there's more to him. Yes, that part is true. There is more to him. He's fully God and he's fully man, but he's fully God. But Superman wasn't a man. Superman wasn't a man. Superman was this superhuman being from another planet. He was an alien. He came in. Jesus came and was fully man. Yes, fully God. But he was a man. He wasn't a guy who looked like a man. And as such, he didn't float through an easy life. Oh, he's Superman. Da-da. No, no. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus ridiculed, opposed by the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders again and again and again. Rejected even in his own town. Isn't this just Joseph and Mary's son, a son of a carpenter? Who is this guy? Tested, betrayed, Judas coming, betraying him with a kiss. Deserted. No, I never knew him. I didn't know him. Tortured and crucified. In his book, God's Stories, Andrew Wilson talks about Jesus' ability to sympathise with our weaknesses and our sufferings, like this on page, on page, in a particular chapter. You don't need the page reference. Imagine all humanity had a committee meeting to establish what God would have to go through to truly understand human suffering. The poor would say he should be homeless, frequently hungry, constantly moving from place to place. Bereaved people would say he should lose a parent and perhaps a close friend as well. Holocaust victims might insist he be Jewish. Those who lived in occupied territories that he should live his entire life in subjection to a brutal empire. Outcasts would insist he face a major social stigma, accusations of illegitimacy or drunkenness or demon possession. The abused might demand he face physical violence. Ritual humiliation, abandonment and betrayal by those closest to him and yet with the perpetrators never punished. I don't know what you would throw in. Never having children, being murdered in his prime or perhaps facing extended torture and slow death. Maybe those who had felt the silence of heaven like Job would add that to the list to form the most profound and wide-ranging suffering imaginable. Then and only then, humanity might say, could God be regarded as being able to understand our suffering. Only if God had lived through the worst this life had to offer and had been perfect throughout, could we say he had provided suffering's answer. He finishes with the question, sound like anyone we know? That's Jesus. That is Jesus. That is what he went through. He didn't float through life like a superhero. But he lived 
life in the reality of relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, on relationship with his Father. Prayers, petitions, loud cries, tears. In the end, to Gethsemane. If anything kind of reminds us of prayers, petitions, loud cries and tears, it will be the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 to 44. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus lived a real life. Jesus lived a life facing every temptation. Until ultimately in the garden, he looks in to the cup of God's wrath against sin. The punishment for every sin, for all the grime and stench and evil and rebellion, and yet not my will, but your will be done. We sung it earlier. We sung it earlier. Jesus knows. Jesus understands because he's been tempted in every way without giving in, without falling. He knows what it is to face that which he longs not to face. In that moment, if there was any other way, yet he submitted to his father's will. He knew this is the way and I'm going there. However hard it is. And ultimately, understand this, that he knows what it is to face. He knows what it is to drink that which we will never have to drink. That which we will never have to face. So Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus can deal gently with us. The same as the priests, but different. But different. So much better Not because he's fallen, not because he messed up and he didn't manage to to cope under under temptation. No, but because he faced everything. Because he faced everything and he defeated it. And so, therefore, he is our true, perfect, eternal representative. The priests were the people's representative before God. Jesus is our perfect, true, eternal representative representative 414 we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens jesus the son of god we've already seen back in chapter 2 verse 17 that jesus for this reason had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to god and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people Jesus is our true 
representative. Jesus is the one who stands before the Father. And as the writer in Hebrews goes on to look at in the last few verses of this passage, look, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. It's what Jesus came to do. He came to be our great high priest. He came to be the one who now stands before the Father, making, being our source of eternal salvation. He had to live a perfect life. He had to become a man like us, to be fully God and fully man. He had to live a perfect life and succeed where Adam and we have all failed throughout eternity. He had to be tempted in every way. And go through the suffering and come to die a sinner's death. And by God's grace, taste death for us all. Because Jesus is our great representative, as our great high priest. The high priest brought sacrifices. In fact, the high priest offered sacrifices for their own sin. But Jesus, our great high priest, offers himself as the sacrifice for our sin. The high priest came with sacrifices. Jesus came as the sacrifice. Jesus came as the sacrifice. And now, forever, forever he stands as faithful, merciful high priest. The one who intercedes for us before the Father. The one who has made a way for us to come near. So very quickly, what does this mean for us? What is it, what's the point of the writer drawing this out? He wants us to know who our great high priest is. As Neil prayed earlier, this mediator between God and man, fully God, fully man, we want to know him more and more. Our great high priest who is so much greater. The Hebrews would have seen, there's this contrast. It's harder, in some ways it's harder for us to see because we haven't grown up as, as Gentiles. We haven't grown up with the priestly system and seen, yeah, we know there was the one who went every year. We know there's the one, he's the only one who can approach God. And now there's Jesus, but we can still see it. Look, now there is Jesus. Jesus is the one who stands before the Father. We can know that he understands. We can know that he understands because he was tempted in every way. Whatever we are going through. Children. Jesus knows what it's like to grow up. This is simple. This is... Simple stuff. He knows what it is to be a three-year-old, to be a four-year-old, to be a five-year-old and every other age that I've just missed out. He knows what it is to be a teenager. He knows what it is to grow up. Students. Maybe others who are new here. Jesus knows what it is to face new things, to go to new places. He knows what it's like. He knows what it is that you're facing. You might say, well, you you didn't experience exactly this situation. He didn't come to Sheffield in 2015. No, 
but he understands. He knows. He knows what it is you're facing, the temptations that you will face, the battles that you will come up against. He knows. He understands. For all of us, let's know this. Jesus understands what we face. But what is it that the writer initially encourages us to do? There are two big commands, if you like. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. What do we believe? We believe him. As the writer's already been drawing out, we want to fix our eyes on him. We want to keep pressing on after him. Because it's in him that we believe. This man, this man who is God. All our hope is in him. But in a sense, this great command, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How? We probably don't understand in some ways. We don't understand. When they heard that, The understanding, he's going on to talk about the high priest. What have we said about the high priest? The high priest was the only one who could come in. The high priest was the only one who could approach. Not now. Not now. Because we have the perfect, great high priest. The one who has gone through the heavens. The one who is now seated in glory. And the way is open. Not just that one will go in. Once a year, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and find mercy and find grace in our time of need because of him, because of Jesus, our great, merciful, faithful high priest. Let's pray. Father God, Father God, we are, we stand here in awe, grateful, blown away by the fact that you would send your son to die in our place, that he may he now would stand before you interceding for us. Jesus, that you have made a way for us to come before the Father. Jesus, that you have made a way for us to be forgiven. That you have made a way for us to come close. And Jesus, we thank you that you came and you went through everything that you went through. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. Suffering to the point of death. Taking our sin. Lord, we know you understand. You understand in everything we face, it is, you went through more. In everything that we face, you understand what we're facing. In everything, we know. You provide mercy and grace in our time of need. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Son.
Thank you, Jesus, that you came. And thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit who is with us now. We want to worship you, Lord, because you are worthy. You are worthy of all our praise. Amen. Let's stand and worship him.